0: Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Long, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.
1: Hey, y'all, it's Kyle. Sorry to take this quick break from the podcast, but we wanted to answer a question we've been getting a lot from people, and that is, how can they start their own podcast? For us, the easiest and best way to do that is through Anchor. We love the Anchor platform, first of all, because it's free, and as Eric Crouch says, free is always in our price range. Secondly, the creation of podcasts on Anchor is as easy as we found, whether it's through your phone or through your computer. We also love that Anchor takes care of distributing the podcast. We are on so many more platforms since we switched to Anchor. Um, They have the biggest ones, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any that you really um, want your podcast to be on. Also, you can make money from your podcast if that's what you want to do with no minimum listenership. You don't have to hit these minimum wickets to be able to bring money in through your podcast. It, it truly is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Check it out to get started the same way we did. Now, back to the podcast. Welcome to Value Adds Value, a podcast for teachers brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development My name is Kyle Krieger, and along with Wilkie Law, we want this podcast to be a place where teachers can come to speak their truth, because ultimately, we don't think there's anything more important that teachers can do for students than to speak their truth and to tell their story. We call this podcast Value Adds Value because that's the core principle and belief of our nonprofit Lighthouse Educator Development. When you add value to yourself, you will add value to your colleagues and more importantly to your students. So with this podcast, we provide teachers a space to tell their stories and inspire other educators. So thanks for tuning in to Value Adds Value.
2: Welcome to the Value Adds Value podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger and I've got my former southwest texas state alumni wilkie v law the third on with me today will what's going on
0: oh man loving loving enjoying the spring break enjoying the spring break mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, we've been
2: uh, it's been nice we've had several long conversations this week without having to be interrupted by your school bells or stuff like that. so that's been
0: yeah that's been really good man yeah a lot of relaxing I did a lot of relaxing and reflecting yeah I'll start working tomorrow but yeah for right now I'm just gonna keep relaxing and
2: and I will say I I have to tell you this I forgot to tell you this Brittany was infatuated by the fact that you said you had deep fried pecan pie at the rodeo
0: (laughs) oh my god it was the best I'm telling you I no, I shouldn't have had it wasn't I won't eat sweets for again for another month or so but it was definitely (laughs) worth it definitely worth it
2: all right. Well, we, we don't want to waste any more time uh, introducing our guest for this. What What is the fifth episode of the new Value Adds Value podcast? Daylene Hendon. Daylene, how are you?
3: Hi, I'm well. Good morning.
2: And and just to be clear, did you go to the same school that Wilkie went to?
3: <laughs> I am currently attending the same geographical location. <laughs> it, it does have a a new name
0: mm-hmm, <laughs> it, is
3: now, mm-hmm. it is now allegedly texas state <laughs> university
0: <laughs> the school formerly known as swt that's yes. what we'll call it yes. <laughs> yeah yeah
3: but i i respect and honor the the tradition of
0: <laughs> but you know when i became a teacher and i started doing my history and i realized that when swt or texas state was first um uh, Uh, constructed it was actually a teacher's college it was one of the normal schools to kind of teach and prepare teachers and even though I wasn't an education major knowing that history kind of helped me understand even the curriculum for uh, non-teaching curriculum they still included some of those educational psychology classes and things in undergrad to kind of give you that sense of education so that's kind of you know I guess it's kind of part of the course that I kind of so Southwest Teachers College to Texas State, it's all the same. We're Bobcats. Mm-hmm. Go Cats. Mm-hmm. Eat them up.
2: And I think I think, had I been a, a Texas, had I been born in Texas, that's probably where I would have chosen because it's such an amazing area. There's like so much to do within, um, within that. An hour you know, drive everywhere. Yeah, within an hour drive. And, and I know t- how many kids go to Texas State now? It's still pretty big though, isn't it?
3: Oh, I would assume it's gotta be over twenty thousand. It
0: does Yeah, it's like yeah. thirty five, forty thousand almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does seem
3: quite large.
2: I, 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 I still like I still like the fact that it seems I mean, because 'cause we've been to the campus two or three times, you've taken me there, and it still does seem smaller. It's not like the big sprawling university, which I which I really would have liked. So
0: all right. It's the heels. It's the heels. The heels will yeah,
2: it, it makes it
3: <laughs> It's <laughs> – incredibly hilly i did my i was sharing with kyle i took a campus tour this week because i had spring break as well and i was i had never seen several areas so that i learned the history as well of the the teachers going down the hill Mm -hmm. and doing their clinicals at the high school Um, Mm -hmm. but it it was fascinating i was like i i got a better workout there than i did at orange theory earlier in the day so it is
0: very
2: yeah yeah the only other thing i remember is trying to navigate man if you don't know where you're going through those like little narrow hilly streets through there man we got lost a couple times will when we were down there
0: mm-hmm.
2: after uh i'm trying to remember which it was after one of the conference which one were we at that we went up there then
0: uh san antonio at the um was it think? Conference. think yeah
2: conference, yeah uh, okay awesome well Daylene, could you give us just a little bit about your, uh, your background and, and what you're doing now as an educator?
3: My background, I am from Oklahoma.
2: Oh.
3: So. <laughs> Uh-oh, is that a
2: touchdown? No, it's really not for me. I, just, I, yeah.
3: I was technically born in Texas because I'm from rural southeast Oklahoma, so <laughs> the closest hospital.
2: Was in Texas. <laughs> was in
3: Texas. <laughs> so you
2: can claim to be a Texan.
3: I am Texas by birthplace, but <laughs> I was raised in Oklahoma. Um, so my, I'm the daughter of two educators. So I, I say that mm-hmm. education is the family business. My mm-hmm. brother's also in education as well. Um, yeah, so I grew up in rural Oklahoma. And I'm um, trying to think of some aspects of that. I would say that being the daughter of two teachers... Uh, I absolutely never wanted to be a teacher, so, <laughs> uh, so I did everything to resist that urge as a, a young student, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I actually became a chemistry teaching assistant in undergrad, and I fell in love with teaching through that, um, I think because I know from experience how difficult those classes were for me. And so while helping other students uh, in that TA setting, I just got this idea in my mind that like, I want to be a science teacher. And and so that's kind of how that happened. And then, of course, like my mom cried not in tears of joy. She was like, you're going to be poor. (laughs) Because I think they thought thought I was going to go like a, a, a different way. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah so that's how I got into teaching um I, I definitely call it the family business So now I'm in uh San Antonio Texas I'm a RTI response to intervention facilitator so I facilitate our intervention program on our campus and I do pull some small groups for reading a math intervention um and I I joke that I I moved to Texas for love but I stayed for the money because teaching in texas is much more lucrative than oklahoma and that's a really sad oh. thing, right? <laughs> because we oh, wouldn't define man. teaching as lucrative <laughs> so yeah oh you
2: can't uh i feel you there like when i first moved to texas the starting pay was like 15 to twenty thousand dollars more than it was in wisconsin mm-hmm. and when i moved back and took a teaching job with two coaching positions i took like a fifteen thousand dollar pay cut yeah and i mean but it's but it's crazy how is how state to state it's different because um mm-hmm. this next year i'm going to try to get a job right across because i live right on the wisconsin minnesota border so i'm going to try to go across to minnesota because that's where um my girlfriend and i are going to look to get a, a house soon it's substantially more in Minnesota than it is in Wisconsin. It's just crazy to me how there's such a disparity. Like Mm -hmm. you can, you can literally go from, I mean, you could go Southeast Oklahoma down to the Dallas Fort Worth area and it could be just insanely different.
3: At a minimum, probably a $10,000 difference. And it, it's truly, even though I would argue, you know, when teachers talk about teacher pay, it's not, it's not just about the dollar amount of the wage, Mm -hmm. but it's really about like life, your life making. Uh What are are you Mm -hmm. able to do with your life? I mean, $10,000, especially like as a single woman, that's a huge difference in, you know, am I able to pay for medical care if I need it? Am I able to repair my vehicle if I, you know, so it's, it's definitely, it's, it's really sad that when you, when you look at those types of things, it's like, it's, it's not about, an extra Disney vacation per year, but, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's truly really just about the, the, the life survival of the teacher. So,
2: <laughs> well, you know, and, and the crazy thing too, especially with Houston and I, and I don't know as much about San Antonio though, is Houston's one of the cheapest major cities in the country. Right. Like right. Wilkie can attest to this. I mean, my house will that I had there was pretty darn nice. Mm-hmm. Like it was redone top to bottom. And when I left, I sold it for, around 150,000 the same house here where I am in, in, you know, kind of the outskirts of the twin cities, but like rural Wisconsin is like two fifty.
3: Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's a huge difference.
0: But I think that's part of the conversation that people are not hearing when they're hearing teachers saying, we want more pay. They're thinking you want to be greedy you want to go out and do this, you know, not realizing that, you know, off top starting in August, you know there's already about a $2,500 classroom fee that you're paying in buying supplies buying rewards buying uh different things for your classroom that you know you're going to spend so that you can deduct that already so we're talking about just living expenses mm-hmm. just being able to to have that that like you say the ability to go to the dentist and utilize the high priced insurance that you already have You know, <laughs> you know, and and do those things. So, you know, I'm glad that you framed it like that, that it's not about that extra Disney vacation Mm -hmm. or something like that. It's just, you know, just, I mean, when you think about the fact that we always say that we're creating every other profession on the planet. So you would think that there should be a larger investment in those people who take on that responsibility than just, okay, we're going to give you the bare minimum to get by. Right. you know, should just get by. And if you talk about a family, you know, if you're one or two people, okay, maybe you're talking about a family of four or five, then it, it definitely changes the dynamic of what you're looking at.
3: I know that. I would agree. I lived in Houston and the cost of living there was quite affordable. And I would say San Antonio is experiencing a very strange phenomenon. We're kind of becoming the, I joking. I'm sorry to San Antonio listeners. I'm (laughs) going to send this to everybody, but we're kind of the wannabe Austin and that we're, we're growing rapidly. Um, We're really starting to, the prices are starting to reflect what happened. I would say 10 years ago in Austin. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's interesting because I now have more uh, educator friends in Austin. And I think about the cost of living for them there. And I, I don't know how they really do it, but I, I'm starting to have that concern for teachers in the, in the San Antonio Metro because mm-hmm. it's still affordable, but there's definitely this idea of it's because of the rapid growth. Um, it's, it's more competitive and um, to mm-hmm. get, get into that market. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge and it's, it's those things that like it it's, it's part of, you know, what you could what you would consider like a normal progression in life with you know adult development (laughs) and it becomes a challenge it becomes
2: right right all right
3: money really fast (laughs) oh
2: yeah you know like like we said sometimes it just you know we we go where it goes but um you know we we call this uh, podcast value adds value because it just comes from a conversation that Wilkie and I started having when we taught together was that just we had this really good vibing relationship where we were adding value to each other and it was just this constant like circle of development, whether it was me personally or him physically or and then it all filtered into our teaching craft. So is there a a person who's really uh, impacted you and add value to you, added value to you as a teacher?
3: I'm thinking... In my past, long-term, uh, the person I, that comes to mind who really set me on a different path as far as a teacher, I had a professor who, in undergrad, uh, developed a student teaching abroad program, and so his name is Dr. Neil Armstrong. I mean, if you can't get a better name than that, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's a blessing and a curse for him. But, right. But it stays with you. Um, and he developed, you know, we're in, I went to Oklahoma State University. So um, I would describe the community at Oklahoma State is quite, quite a large population of rural Oklahoma students come into that large university setting. It, it's not necessarily the school at that time. It's different now. But at that time, it's not the one that appealed to most of your major cities. Uh, students. Um, and so he was, you know, he was working with a group of students who had quite a, you know, a narrow view of the world. There, they, many had probably not traveled far outside of Oklahoma. Uh, we definitely hadn't done any teaching or exchange programs abroad. And so he developed this, this student teaching abroad program because in his words, it was, he wanted people to have an opportunity to have a little more empathy with students in the classroom who may or may not, culturally, linguistically diverse students. And so um, I applied and was accepted to the student teaching abroad program for Costa Rica. So I actually student taught at an international school in Costa Rica, I taught second grade. Um, And that completely changed, you know, as I said earlier, I thought I was gonna be like a middle school or a high school science teacher. I had this whole, that's all my, all my pre-service teaching experience had been along those lines. And, but because I was like, I want to go to the beach and I want to travel. (laughs) Um, I did it for all the wrong reasons, you know, (laughs) but putting me in that situation and through that, there was a lot of mentoring. It completely changed my view on what I wanted to do an education. And so I began to seek opportunities to work with English language learners. Uh, I, I stayed, I actually spent 10 months there. So I did a long-term subbing position for a fifth grade teacher after I graduated. Um, and that opened so many doors for me because it was a unique thing on my resume. People want to know, what, what were you doing in Costa Rica? And it, it gave me the opportunity to open up a conversation with principals and anyone in a in an interview setting about my passion for working with uh, students learning English and with being open to just a whole different way of teaching, and because that was a dual at that point in time, that you know that was a dual language campus in in Oklahoma. Dual language has not become a thing yet. Now, of course, mm-hmm. we're seeing that transition. So I would say I appreciate that he kind of set me on a new path um, because I think. Even though now you know I teach in a big city, um, I probably still would have done something similar. I probably would have taught in a suburban or or uh, urban area because I had no desire to go back to rural life. But I don't think I'd be the person I am now. I think I'd be seeing my day to day teaching through a completely different lens, mm-hmm. a much a much more limited and much just a. A much more deficit, simplistic lens, and I feel like that was the first step in leading me to where I am. If that answers that question, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: that, that's also. Awesome. I, I love the way you say that. It shifted the lens. It you would have looked at it in a different lens, and I think that reflection reveals that. You know, a lot of times that when we encounter certain things, we encounter it with not that the situation itself is bad, or that the reasoning behind it is bad is that we're looking at it with the wrong lenses on. Mm-hmm. And so it gets kind of cloudy and gets kind of mucky. If we just realize that all we have to do is change our lenses and put it on a different lens, then you get that sense of that sense of what does this, what should this look like in this classroom?
3: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it, it took me to a place um, of being so uncomfortable.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, I didn't know the language. I was living in a... <laughs> oh it was so it was it was so sad you know, I'm living in this little apartment in Costa Rica with you know a metal roof, like you see the metal roof and that's it, and it's hot there's no you know there's no uh luxurious amenities um I'm riding the public bus to work. To and from work, and you know, like running in the rain because it rains all day every day, even in the 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 quote dry season. All that means is you'll stay dry till two, and then you're gonna get wet, right? When school's, um, you know, so having to suddenly rely on you know public transportation uh, and where your your you know I was when I stayed as a substitute. That's how I would describe it you know i i got paid with the 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 gardeners it was kind of this whole situation where it was like oh you know you're not full time so i would go and collect my my pay um with the the custodial and gardening staff um you know trying to navigate this whole system that was so unfamiliar you know being a I, you know i'm the stranger coming into this place mm-hmm. and trying to learn and be respectful of their their culture and so it just totally shifts your view of families who are immigrants, um, families who may be struggling with poverty, because I was definitely, at that point, I was, you know, living, <laughs> I was eating rice and beans three times a day. Um, I, of course, had the privilege of, if there was an emergency, I had parents who oh. I could, I, I would have been able to rely on, but I, I'm stubborn and I don't like to do that. So I was definitely struggling. Um, I think I would have stayed longer if they would have paid me more, but But, I mean, it gives you this whole Mm -hmm. new perspective of what it means to like really be in a situation where you're, you are, um, uncomfortable. And so I think as a teacher, it's good to be uncomfortable and have, have a a shift in your, in your perspective.
2: One, and, and to to say that too, I think that would be so valuable, especially for people who are in, because I'm a very similar situation to you. Like I very grew up very rural Wisconsin and my first job was Houston. And there was just this huge learning curve
1: mm-hmm.
2: about what that culture and what those things that those families especially go through in terms of like, I had never, I mean, I didn't grow up in a wealthy small town, but I had never seen like poverty, like Mm -hmm. was right across the street from the school. And Mm -hmm. I had never worked with people who were either first generation, like kids that just came into the country or parents who just came into the country, you know, those type of things. And I think like you said, that, that experience, if, if, pre-service teachers could get more experience like that even if it's even if it's going into maybe not going abroad but going into a big city
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: and things like that I think it would have made the, a huge difference because it took me a long time to like adjust and understand and like like you said it it took me a long time to have the empathy and the perspective that that comes with experiences that like you said push you way outside of your comfort zone absolutely all right, so I would love to hear the two of you just talk a little bit about the the journey to be uh, the journey towards getting doctorates. And so, <laughs> Aileen, we'll, we'll start with you. Oh, okay, you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to
1: fan
3: myself because I was like, I'm sweating yeah. thinking about it. Um, okay, Wilkie, do you want to share
0: first? Uh, you, know, you know, I, I'll go ahead and share because I, I I'm. Um, you know, this is going on my second year in my program. I'm
3: in New school as well.
0: And so it, um, <sighs> <laughs> I, I tell everybody, I went in initially saying, I want to get my doctorate. I want to earn a doctorate degree. And through this process, I really learned that it's not so much the degree that I desire, it's the ability to make a difference. And that's what I feel like the doctorate is arming me with, the ability to go out and make a difference. Um, and it's not for the fainted heart. You know, I tell anybody, my wife just started her program and, and, and I told her, I was honest with her in the very beginning. And I said, look, you have to accept that you're going to not sleep sometimes you know, you're going to get tired of reading books. I'm filled with so much information right now. Like right now, and honestly, I'm in a a little break right now. I'm taking a break right now um, so that Kyle and I can work on some things with our project and our nonprofit and um, get some more stabilization things going with that. Um, But I'm going to start back. I start back up in June. So it's not um not a long break, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, I think you need it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were talking during lunch one time with um, one of our good friends, uh, Liz, and you know, she was like, you know, good thing that they give you so long to take it and to go through the coursework, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because it's not for the faint of heart. Like you have to know that this is, you have to know that you want to make a difference and be on the front lines of those difference, uh, with those difference makers in order to really be successful, I believe.
3: Absolutely, I, I frequently say now, it, it's a process about me versus me, mm. because I, it really is a, it's a, I mean, sometimes hour to hour, <laughs> battle with myself to, mm-hmm. to persist and push through because, it's definitely, uh, I, I would say, I'm trying to describe how my story started with this journey. I, for, for about three years, I looked at doctoral programs and I, I ended up zeroing in on the program at Texas State. I loved that. My program is school improvement.
0: Mm.
3: Um, so I'm in a school improvement PhD program. It falls under the leadership uh, educational leadership umbrella, but what I loved about that is it was so broad because essentially any of anything that you choose to do with your research that can fall under the idea of school improvement, they support so I wanted something really broad because i 'm not interested in a traditional path of leadership where you know assistant principal principal that 's not for me, mm-hmm. um, and I was really worried that other programs that would, that would be heavy focus on that. So Mm -hmm. I wanted something broad. Um, So I looked for probably three years at Texas and I'd pull it up and then I wouldn't apply. Like I I had this doubt, like I'm at that point, I was a first grade teacher in the Houston area. I'm like, well, you know, they're not going to take a first grade teacher. Like what, why am I doing this? I had all this like internal conversation that was full of doubt. Um, But what finally pushed me, um, I was in a, summative evaluation with my uh, principal, or actually my assistant principal. And he happened to ask me, you know, what do you want to do long-term? And I made some kind of comment about, you know, I'd really love to work in policy. I feel really passionate about making change at the policy level because that's what affects our day-to-day lives as teachers. And he looked at me and he said, you know that they can't do anything, right? And it was the tipping point or the switch for me. The minute he said that, the first thing in my mind was, watch me do it. <laughs> like like I went home and I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, and I was like, that's it. I'm doing this because I knew that because I have not taken a traditional route to be a, a campus leader, I knew I needed a foundation in in a way. I needed time to focus on studying and Gaining information and getting a foundation without necessarily spending ten years as a campus administrator getting that foundation, so um, I felt like this was the the way to do that um, and so that 's where that 's what got me started but yeah i say it's a it 's a a battle of me versus me because um, it is not an easy challenge i do i 'm part time so I do uh I do six hours a semester. So I go two nights a week to campus. There's all different kinds of programs. I needed one in person just because of how I like to, I need to talk it out. So <clears throat> I, uh, I go two nights a week. I drive almost an hour to campus. And then I'm in class from 6.30 to 9.30 at night. And then I drive almost an hour home. So it's a true uh, time commitment. And I, yeah. I, I share with people like, if I'm not at work, and i'm not in class then i am working on the work like there's no there's no way around it you're either reading or writing or rereading and rewriting writing. that's all, all you do <clears throat> and i would say that it the first year was just about surviving for me because the shift in having to suddenly say no to everything, you know, you, you truly have to learn to say no Mm -hmm. to things that maybe they matter to you, but they're not essential. So that's a big shift. Like what I, I used to be the first person to volunteer for a committee volunteer in my community. I love working on political campaigns. So, you know, I was block walking every weekend for candidates. All of that had to come to a halt. Um, and with the understanding of like, this is a challenging season. I will get through this and I will succeed. And then I can get back to that. But if I don't make this a priority, I will never finish.
0: Right. So
3: long story to say, <laughs> it, is a, it is a significant time commitment. It is um, completely worth it in my opinion. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. But,
3: but it, it's a huge, a huge time commitment. And and that's the only way that you're going to really gain probably what your goal was, which was to gain new knowledge and then start creating new knowledge at the doctoral level, so.
0: And start applying everything that you learn. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's, you know, a lot of people look at me and they think, you know, why are you still in the classroom? You know, this is, I went back to the classroom. Once I started my doctoral program, my my dissertation is focusing on teacher-student relationships. And I was a specialist, so I was like, I'm not going to get the type of data that I need by going in as a visitor in somebody's classroom Mm -hmm. i need to be in the classroom and then an opportunity came up for me to teach my grade level that i've been teaching for the past 12 years and it's like yeah let me go to middle school and and rough year anyway and see if it it works and when i say that it is i see why so many people that i know take time off work to focus on their doctoral studies Mm -hmm. Uh, not in that position to do that right. um, I wish I was but um, having to find that that work life research work right balance <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it, it'll leave you some time you know getting a little messy but it's um, like you say it's worth it when I think about what I'm gaining and what I will be able to achieve for the next generations of educators to me like I say it's worth the weight on my shoulders right now. So absolutely. I'm glad you, you encouraged me. So, so that really, oh, good. Me. Right, thank you.
3: And I, I, you're encouraging me that just the perspective of going back into the classroom, um, because my role right now is it's a little bit in between. I'm not necessarily an administrator, but I'm not a general ed mm. classroom teacher either. And my district is uh, in a massive budget deficit. And so my role is eliminated as of next year. So I, I'm not unemployed, I, but I will have to go back into, into the, classroom. the classroom, and I was okay with that. I was disappointed because I, I feel like what I do is important, um, but I also, I feel like you, like, I don't wanna be so far removed from the classroom that I lose perspective. And I'm my cohort, my cohort has ten people, and eight of those, seven of those people are district leaders. So they're already super assistant superintendents. Uh, there's a CEO of a charter. There are um, like campus, not campus. There's a few campus leaders and mostly district leaders. And then there's a music teacher. middle school music teacher and myself and you know i feel like he and i it's i feel like sometimes we're just like in a battle with that crew because like Mm -hmm. we're like you are so far removed from what you're like you're talking and you don't even get it (laughs) and so i I sometimes feel like i i like my mission in the cohort is to check them on some of their their teacher talk how they talk about teachers their views on teachers uh, because I I just I need them to remember like I'm like go back and remember remember that feeling some of them did it for such a short time they don't really know so right. <laughs> and that's a whole other conversation for another right. day
0: because they do the minimum they know oh yeah I have to do three years to become an AP I there go AP go. for yeah. three years then that gives me the right to be a principal then I'll be a principal mm-hmm. and so really you've only spent three to four years in the classroom and I tell anybody you're not an expert teacher until you've passed five years yeah you know you you can be good you can be great but you're not an expert at it until you've done it for three to five years and by that time you you really haven't replicated it enough times over and over again to really say that what you've done is beneficial across the masses
3: I had the opportunity to to go full-time and be a a doctoral research assistant but I just, I felt similarly to what you said, like, I didn't want to uh, be doing this type of research and work without having that close connection to mm-hmm. kids. Um, I just didn't feel like it would be as valuable to me. I I needed that, um, I needed that campus experience to, to kind of reinforce what I was learning. So I, I chose to do part-time, but I think it's a, I think it's a a great point that I also think people feel like it's impossible to do that but it's not. You're, it's, you're gonna make sacrifices but you you can do it and you can find programs that work. I have a really close friend who um, her program is mostly online but then she has uh, each each semester she has a certain number of days she goes to campus. So there's there's a lot of different models and you can find something that works for you but still pushes you and challenges you so I think it's I think it's a cool opportunity if, if it's something you're interested in
2: and and we were also uh as we scoured your your Instagram saw that you're you present a, a session at the teacher self-care conference about how important it is for self-care for teachers who are pursuing advanced degrees so could you talk a little bit about that and and kind of what that looks like for you
3: absolutely um I became involved in doing that presentation um, after Fran, the, the person who uh, founded that conference, she she reached out to me because the Harvard study came out talking about the mental health uh, crisis in higher ed and in, uh, in graduate uh, student populations. And we were talking about it. And um, a big piece of that I think is is the feeling of, not being able to be, you can't you can not please everyone, you can't do everything uh, when you're, when you make these types of time commitments. And so there's this constant feeling of like, I'm juggling so many things, I'm juggling work, I'm juggling family, I'm juggling my homework, I'm juggling, you know, trying to apply to conferences. There's a lot going on for graduate students. Uh, and so I just felt like it was really important to talk with teachers because I was even reflecting back on when I did my master's um, about how you have to make a really concentrated effort to adjust your ideas of self-care because maybe in the, in the time before you were a student, um, you, were, you were able to go and do things. So like you were able to leave home And like, I'm going to go to the park and take a walk or I'm going to do, and now your, your schedule in life is going to completely shift. And so how can you, how can you reframe your idea of what self-care is? And so Mm -hmm. I kind of mentioned earlier, like step one is learning about setting your priorities. Like how do you, how do you prioritize your time? Um, I talk a lot, I talked a lot in that session about mindset shifts and, uh, Really doing some of that thought work and self-coaching about because you're going to really struggle with the imposter syndrome. Wow. Um, you hear that term, and then once you start to experience, it, it's like, oh, now I know what that means. That there's like this inner voice that always is is you know telling you that's not good enough, or that no one will care about that, or I can't do this, and you hit these <laughs> mental blocks which can really slow you down. So I talk a lot in my session about that type of. Uh, thought work to help with your mindset to avoid that imposter syndrome spin cycle trap that you can fall in as a graduate student. Um, I also really uh, feel that it's important to talk with teachers that self-care as a graduate student for me looked like building a team of mentors or building like, you, building a group of people who you can talk to about being a student and they're there to listen and support. And they're like your little personal group of cheerleaders because you'll meet people who don't really care, or maybe they judge you or they're, maybe they're jealous. I don't know that people will make comments like, Oh, doctoral program. Oh, I don't know. I, I would never do that because X, Y, and Z, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make little things. You'll find people real fast in your circle, your personal circle, your work circle, who they're just not they're not going to be your supporter. Um, they're not going to be there for you. They're not going to understand. So I talk a lot about self-care for me, look like building a, a team of people who I check in with regularly to, to just get gain support because it's, it's definitely, uh, you need people to encourage you and you need people to talk with who are going to listen and encourage. So that's kind of how I frame it. Um, I'm sorry, self-care for me also, I, I have a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say twisted, that's the wrong way to say it. I have a, a bit of a different take on self-care. I view self-care um, as a teacher. I view it as an act of resistance and an act of uh, protest in a way, because I really like that our community of teachers talking about self-care, they're moving away from this materialism, they're moving away from this kind of like neoliberal idea of what you should be doing to really pushing about, I am human and there are human needs that I have and we have as educators and you have to honor that. And so I really love that the narrative is starting to shift Mm -hmm. um, and that self-care is not, it's not, you know, Lattes and bubble baths. It's really about like family, focusing on family. Like my time, honor my time. Like if I need time for me, you have to honor that. Um, and so I love I love the idea of like re rethinking what we mean by taking care of yourself and challenging that idea of like what does it mean for health, wellness, uh, you know, mentally, physically. Emotionally, that that looks totally different. If you think about like pushing and resisting what we typically see put right. on teachers, you're you're told that oh, it's going to be the hardest job, but you're going to love it, or you know, oh, you you're not going to you don't do it for the money, you do it for the kids, or oh, what's best for kids? What's you know, so but really pushing back and resisting this like martyr, uh, you know. <laughs> narrative like the the whites the white savior narrative of just like oh you got to do all these things and give up your your life so that's I just I like to kind of think about self-care in the sense of like that resisting that narrative and resisting unrealistic expectations
0: but I think it's important as you say teachers we're the ones responsible for writing that narrative you know, and and a lot of times we we write the narrative that we've always heard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of writing the narrative that we know makes makes a difference, makes the greatest impact. You know, I just did a podcast yesterday with an educator, um, um, and he was asked. The question was, "Why do extra?" Um, and, and, and 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 you know, simply the answer I, I gave was simple, because kids deserve. The best version of myself. That's me not stressed out about finances, me not stressed out about, you know, what I'm gonna eat or if I'm gonna eat, or me not, you know, me being focused on developing their minds, developing their existence to become who they're gonna become, not about me. My job to take care of myself. I have to do that in order for me to take care of others. You know, just like when you're on an airplane, they say if, if you're with a child or an adult, I mean, an elderly person, if it loses cabin pressure, put your mask on first. Mm-hmm. Then save them. Don't try to save them and lose air and then now both of you are stuck. not that lady will breathe. So help yourself first so that you can be a help to other people. So I think that that, but that's our job to change that narrative of Absolutely. how we see that and how we view that.
3: I was sharing with someone recently, I view um, this community of educators that are really talking a lot about teacher self-care. I talk, I described them as like, uh, I said, it's like a knitting circle. Um, so like you have this group and I mean, I get that that's like a, a, a very <laughs> female perspective, but I was saying how like, if you've ever, we do, and what made me think of that is because at my school, we have a knitting club. Um, and what I love when you go in there is that, everybody's like they're working on their their own project so they're working on self right but they're they're leaning over helping fix things they're showing um meanwhile they're having social conversations it's not necessarily an academic conversation um and there's all this like different System of support within this group of kids that are doing the knitting club, and so I related to that. I'm like, it's like a group of people getting together. They they have a common purpose. They're a community, mm-hmm. but the, they reach in and help each other, and they're just they're but they're they're creating something totally new. And so I, I love I that was how I was trying to explain to them what it what it is that this group of uh, educators are doing now. So I love that.
2: Hmm. You know, well, I think that's probably I'm looking at my question list and we got through four of the 10, which I was (laughs) not super surprised by. So I think what we're going to do is maybe save like numbers five through eight. And if you have time again, we would love to have you back on because I I think that other part, you know, talking about RTI and, and stuff like that, I think that's super important as well. Um, but it, we've been, we've been going almost an hour here and I think if we dig into four more questions, it's probably going to be another hour and we don't, uh, we don't want to monopolize your, uh, your spring break time. So
3: I appreciate um, it. I'm
2: a little, I'm a little loquacious.
0: I should have, uh, should have avoided That's, that's exactly, and and, you know, that's what we do. We, we, we are the people that love to have conversation. And when you get teachers together, and I always say this, whenever you get a group of like-minded educators in the same room, who's focused about children, the conversation will never end. You will, I mean, I've never been in a dull room with educators who are student focused and been struggling to find words to have a conversation because you Mm -hmm. you know you can always talk so you're you're in good company with that Mm -hmm. i would would
3: love to talk about rti anytime um so Mm -hmm. let me know when you need
2: Mm -hmm. a new
3: episode i'll help you out yeah (laughs)
2: will uh will since those last two questions are 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 your questions you want to ask her those last two as we wrap up here bud sure
0: so um one of the things that we love to ask people is on the podcast is what is one thing that you think all students should be taught?
3: I think one thing that's really important is man, all these things out of my. I really would hope for all students that they would be taught ways to manage and reflect on their emotions, and that they were taught that it's okay to have such a range of emotions. Uh, A large part of what I do in my work is helping students who may or may be frequently dysregulated. They really struggle in the general academic setting with, with different behaviors. And so much of what I see is uh, they need a person to just slow down and talk them through what they're feeling and experiencing. Um, A lot of that may be trauma. Uh, Some of that may just be frustration for different academic reasons. So I feel like it's so important for students to have someone that teaches them how to stop, think, and then articulate what they need Mm. Um, because if if you're if you're trying to communicate to me that you need something through crying and hitting and throwing chairs you're you're trying to communicate that to me you need someone to teach you other options like Mm -hmm. it's okay to be upset it's okay to tell me you need like you have some really you know you have some hurt and some need right now that you need help with from an adult so I you need someone in a very, very careful, kind, and compassionate way to teach you options. It, it, and that's the other thing I feel important is teaching kids that you need multiple strategies to deal with those emotions. And we're gonna, we're gonna find strategies that work for you. Um, and, we're, and, and I'm gonna listen and honor those. And so I think it's important to teach kids, you've gotta recognize that you need to look for other ways to share the same emotion, I'm not telling you not to have that feeling, but what are some way, What are other ways you can explain what you need to the adults or to your classmates? Does that make sense? I really mm-hmm.
2: think. No. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent.
3: I I I think that if we are teaching kids that in an, in a very purposeful way, so much of the other essential academic must must teach moments will happen a lot more easily
0: absolutely
2: Mm. Mm. well said
0: very very Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right so the last one we're going to ask is as an educator what do you want your legacy to be what do you want them to remember you as
3: um i really hope that both students and staff remember me as the person who consistently speaks to the positive and speaks to the the ability of of both the kids and the teachers i i really try to make a very very purposeful specific effort to not carry on deficit conversations and not to allow that in in my space so if you're if you're having a conversation with me about a kid or parents um or if it's just when i'm working with the kids you know as an intervention teacher you 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 work with kids who are very frustrated with the content Um, and so helping them you know express frustration without talking bad about themselves. So like, let's, what are ways you know So I really, I think as far as legacy, if, if people are going to remember me, I hope they remember that the way Daylene talks about kids and the way Daylene talks about teachers and the way Daylene talks about school is always about possibilities and about what, what they can do. I think that's important. And I think personally, my goal is to just create that kind of environment. And I feel like if I can create that kind of environment, it will, it will spread, it will impact others. So mm-hmm.
2: mm. oh man, thank you so much. So for the people that want to connect with you, what are the best ways for them
3: to do that? Um, I am on Twitter at Daleen Hendon. So that's a great way. I love, uh, on Twitter. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm at cohort of care.
2: Awesome. Probably- well, thank you so much for taking some time to
0: uh, have a conversation with us this morning.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for what you're doing. And I appreciate, appreciate it.
0: And we're definitely going to have you back again. Definitely.
3: <laughs>
1: Sounds good. <laughs>